welcome to another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. All right. We exited our last month and we're into a new month. That means new theme. This month's theme is up to you. You, the listener. Yeah, you listening. We're going to let you decide what we're going to watch. And we're not totally finalized on what else we're going to watch this this month through the next couple weeks. So keep making requests. If you Maybe, have suggestions. Uh, yeah make a comment or put it on our Facebook page or put it on the Ravicon site or anywhere else and let us know what you want to hear us talk about. So, yeah. How's it going, Tim? Well, for someone who spends so much time in one of the 50 worst places to live in America, pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, you'd think that we'd be ready to blow blow our brains out by now. Spending all this time in such a terrible place. We we heart Glens Falls, damn it. So so fuck you, Mr. Whoever wrote that book. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um we were talking about this <laughs> this book that was published I I guess in two thousand six called The Absolute Worst Places to Live in America. And it it listed the, the top fifty worst cities. To live in and Glens Falls uh, happened to be on the list and so I was just reading an excerpt from that and it didn't make any sense their main problem with it seemed to be what we think is one of its biggest assets which is the location and it's surrounded by awesome places to go it's convenient to go to well I don't really think Lake George is an awesome place to go I don't understand why people flock there every summer yeah, to be and, horrible but and especially like in in the context of what he was writing is like you know don't worry if you're stuck in Glens Falls just get on a bus and go to Lake George then you'll be back in like civilization Lake George is not civilization <laughs> I don't get that like and he, he's talking about like oh every like you know the big things that that people in Glens Falls will try to sell you on is like, oh, you know, come to Lake George or come to Saratoga and, you know, or the Washington County Fair. And he's like, well, none of these places are actually in Glens Falls. They're just trying to pretend to be all these other places. And, uh, you know, when you're in Glens Falls, you're, you have to drive like a half hour to get anywhere of, of importance or get anywhere that's, that you'd actually want to be in. But it's like, yeah. Yeah, I mean that rather than living somewhere where you have to drive 2 hours to get there. Yeah, or having to actually live in Lake George. <laughs> yeah, like go you know? <laughs> visit it if for whatever reason you think that's a cool thing to do. Yeah, I mean like cuz I don't live there. I mean there's like there's there's stuff that I like to go maybe not necessarily like it, it, is the drive-in movie theater is that like technically in Lake George? No, that's Queensbury. Okay. Where does the Queensbury Great Escape is in Queensbury. Oh, okay. They can say Lake George all they want. The Great Escape is in fucking Queensbury. Because <laughs> it's always advertised as Lake George. Right. A lot of things are advertised Lake George when they're not, or any other place. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember where the exact border is. It's, I think, it's somewhere between Great Escape and Exit 20, if you're going up Route 9. Mm. And it's like Great Escape. That's not like that's not a half hour drive. Actually, you know what? I think Exit Twenty. I think it's north of Exit Twenty because I'm pretty sure the municipal building right off Exit Twenty. I'm pretty sure that's still in Queensbury. So I'm not sure. Like when I was growing up, I just assumed that like, oh, every town has like a theme park. Yeah. You know. It's like how like I. 
I don't get it. I let don't let get, alone I don't, I don't several, because we all, there's also Magic Forest, and we used to have Gaslight Village, which and, wasn't. I mean, and, and it was uh, small and but. um and uh, Waterslide World. Yeah, and like about a billion mini golf places. I've never actually been to Waterside World because I don't like other people's pee or even my own. But um, <laughs> I just want to clarify that. <laughs> but uh, like I've known people who worked there and they're like, yeah, if you ever work there, someone's going to pee on you. And I'm like, mm. all right, well, I mean, that's already a risk working at House of Frankenstein. I'm not going to. Yeah, I've actually never anymore. been to Waterside World either. I just, you know. It's there. I just like the, the theme song. Which, when I was little, <laughs> I thought it was, uh, I really love the way you bleed. At, at the very end, it's like, <laughs> I really love the way you bleed. But I don't, I, I was like, why is that how <laughs> They it snuck ends? that in there, and, and you're like, wait a minute, what? <sighs> I mean, it is weird, because it says, I, we really love the way you feel, right? I think, I thought it was bleed, and then somebody was like, no, it's gleam. And I'm like, that's still weird. But I think it's feel, but... Still a weird phrase. Yeah. <laughs> I love the way you feel. But anyway, Glens Falls is awesome. Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't really understand the... Uh, it's not expensive to live the negative. here. I mean, and I, I don't live in Glens Falls, and I actually never have. But, I mean, I know enough people who have, and I spend... Like, in a seven-day week, I'm in Glens Falls, like at least six days usually Mm. (laughs) and i'm happy about that i don't know there's stuff to do if you know the right people yeah i mean and he he pointed out uh the madden which no longer exists as Mm -hmm. like a drawback which i mean this was written in 2006 yeah and there's there have been like improvements since then that was back when we had a bookstore was the roundabout even in place then uh, I think it no. must have, like just happened or I th- yeah, I think the roundabout was um I think that was that after I got out of college? Cuz I remember it was during a period when I would go to Applebee's all the time with uh this group of people I don't really know anymore and they were they were all like scoffing at the idea of a roundabout. Everyone scoffed at the idea. I of scoffed. I was surprised that people the first day didn't just drive blindly into it. Yeah, I mean, like... We I was, really underestimated society. <laughs> I was skeptical at first, but, like, I was working at uh, TV8 at the time. Clint's Falls' own TV station. At the uh, time. At, at, at the time. <laughs> and we had people come in who were, like, involved in the creation of it to talk about, you know, to be interviewed about the... Basically sell the public on, like, yeah. this will work. And they convinced me, like, early on. I was like, you know, this makes sense. And, like, I remember sitting at that in that intersection at a red light and timing it out. You would sit there for literally over two minutes, like, close to two and a half minutes, mm. waiting for traffic to change. And now, I mean, the roundabout is, like, it is one of the best things that they've done in the last ten years or so. My issue with it was mostly, like, as a driver, I never went to that light anyway. Depending on where I had to go, if I was crossing the bridge from South Glens Falls, I would turn either left or right at the bottom of the hill and just go around that whole area because I knew because the light was sucked, there. Yeah. <laughs> but I was never really a pedestrian in Glens Falls on a on a regular basis until after the roundabout was there. Mm. 
But I remember like in high school, <laughs> like trying to walk or trying to cross the street in the intersection when it was all lights and just like, ah, everybody's just. Yeah, but I mean, it's funny. But now you just, you don't even have to stop. You kind of no. like glance yeah. to see if traffic's coming, but you don't really need to stop walking at any point. And they, 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 the they put about. in a whole bunch of like crosswalks and stuff. Like, I mean, it's, it's way better downtown now than it was before. For anybody listening who's never been to Glens Falls, um, honestly, so, who's listening right now who's who's never been to Glens Falls? In the future, in I don't future, know. Yeah. <laughs> when we have a huge <laughs> nation, national audience. Um, but yeah, check Glens Falls out, and we're sorry for all the very local references that you don't get because <laughs> we're just like, oh, the roundabout, oh, at the bottom of the hill, you turn. <laughs> anyway, yesterday, I watched three movies. Good job. Uh, the, the last of it had been a while. I was watching that many for like, especially during Oscar season. I was like watching like a ton of movies. Yeah. But it's, it, then I just like, it was overkill, and I just took a while. And the third and final movie I watched yesterday was District Nine, which we'll get to in a little bit. The other two movies were uh, Transfers Two. I believe you haven't seen any of the Transfers movies. No, I don't um, think so. I saw the first one at some point, like a few months ago. They're ridiculous in a great way they're not good movies <laughs> but they're fun and they're they're poorly made they're low budget and the best actor in any of them is, is uh helen hunt uh this is before she was famous this is before mad about you mm. <laughs> uh she did these like sci-fi action movies <laughs> i've never seen any it's of those. this this cop from the future is sent to the 80s um and He's got like this big trench coat and slick back hair and he's he goes back as a trancer hunter and a trancer is it's similar to a zombie but you basically act like a regular human until someone points out the fact you're a trancer and then you just start changing and attacking and they have to shoot you. Hey, that guy's a trancer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but they they they're they're fun and silly. The least humorous parts are when they try to be funny which is mm. actually often. <laughs> but on that note, the, the first movie I watched yesterday was Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Have you seen this film? No. It's 1992. It's got Sylvester Stallone and Estelle Getty, Sophia from the Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's he's this cop in what I believe is L.A., and she's his overprotective mother who flies out from New York to stay with him for a little while and there's not it's not funny it's a it's a i it feels like a comedy i'm it's supposed to be a comedy but she was hilarious on golden girls and no was she the sort of like the racy one she was the mother she was dorothy's mother oh she was like the oldest one yeah okay you were thinking of blanche blanche that's right yeah yeah Uh, Speaking of Lake George, she was one of the people who was actively uh, protesting against the diving horse at Magic Forest. Really? Yeah. She was a big animal rights person. Uh, Betty That's White was right, also... right, nameless guy who wrote a book. We had a diving horse, <laughs> goddammit. No, 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 we didn't. Lake George had a diving horse. We don't torture <laughs> the only animals. only diving horse in America. In, we don't torture animals at Glens Falls. Lake George tortures horses. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that was Rue McClanahan. Did you ever see the diving horse? I did. I, I did. And uh, nine times out of ten, 
they were like trying to drag it into the water and get it to jump and it just was did not want to go in the water it was clear even as a little kid like that horse doesn't want to go in the water why are they making it do that? and then eventually it would go in it's weird it's just you when you, you you see like the the advertisement for it yeah your mind goes to like you know the diving horse is going to get up on this high thing and then like you know dive in and sort of like get into like a diving pose <laughs> and like you know i don't know but all it was was just like they made him walk the plank yeah <laughs> and it wasn't that high it was just like you know it was just they just and it was slanted down into the water so it was carted like him up onto this thing and just kind of pushed him into the water and it's like how is this like why are we watching this? <laughs> How is this entertaining at all? <laughs> like, there's just no entertainment value there. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. So, stop or my mom will shoot. Which I remember when it came out, and I remember seeing posters for it, and it was like such a big like flop. It, like, no, I don't think anyone liked this movie, and I'm watching it, and like, I don't think the people making it wanted us to like it because it was like they're actively like let's not give the old comedian any jokes like let's not give her anything funny to say occasionally she'll like it'll cut to like a close-up of her and she'll say something like she'll use like a a, a naughty word or something and i think that we're supposed to think that's funny mm-hmm. but mostly she's just like wandering around like just whining and she's annoying, and Sylvester Stallone's character is annoying. And th- there is like a criminal plot that they they work together to solve. Or whatever. it's this this like rich guy is uh, he's trying to collect on like an insurance claim because some warehouse he had burned down, and there were all these like weapons in it, and he apparently lost all his weapons, but the weapons were actually sold on the black market. And Estelle Getty accidentally buys one out of the back of a van because she wanted to get her son a new gun. <laughs> Well, she ruined the old one because she cleaned it, like, in with the dishes. She, like, put it in, like, she tried to clean. He was like, oh, what a greasy old gun. I'm going to clean this. And she put it in, like, bleach and stuff and, like, was washing it in the sink. And So she had to buy him a new gun. Turns out it was a black market gun. And that opened as a whole can of worms. But it was just, it was such a frustrating experience. You just, it's one of those movies you just sit there with, like, a blank expression on your face. Just, like when is this movie going to turn into a movie? Like, what's going on? Yes, there are images on the screen, but I'm not... It was such a weird, surreal experience. So what you're saying is we should all stop what we're doing and go watch it. Clearly, yes. And, like, I'd never heard anything good about it, but, I mean, it was on VHS at the Crandall Library book sale in Glens Falls three times a year, so there's another reason to come to Glens Falls. Old dusty books. Um, VHS tapes. On Sundays, the VHS tapes that are left over are all free. <laughs> so come on in. Um, but yes, yeah, so I was like, oh, I've always heard of this. I heard it sucks, but I'll you know I'll check it out. Uh, I don't. It was just a weird. Like not, I'm not even mad that I watched it. I'm just so confused about its existence. Mm. So that's that's my bit. <laughs> Have you watched any other movies this week besides the uh, the, the film at hand? You bought 1941. Have you watched it yet? I have not watched 1941. Yeah, I, I found 
1941 on DVD. The the Spielberg film from 1978, I believe, or 79? I think 9. Yeah, I haven't gotten around to watching it yet. It's supposedly... You've seen it. I have seen it. Do you enjoy it? No. No, yeah. (laughs) It's supposedly a bad movie. Um, Probably considered to be Spielberg's worst movie. It was his first box office bomb, or at least critical failure. Because he had just come off of Jaws and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, two huge movies and well-received and well-loved. He was stepping out of his comfort zone a little. I mean, it's still a big spectacle, but it's like primarily a comedy, Mm -hmm. which he hadn't really done before. Yeah, it's got John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. Is that how... Is that what you think right now? According to the DVD yeah. artwork. Yeah, according to the DVD artwork and the poster and the billing and everything, it does have them. They're in there somewhere, yeah. Oh, okay. Just... I see how that goes. All right, yeah. <laughs> That's when, when I went in, I thought that too. Like, oh, this stars, it features, but mm, I mean, yeah. yeah, squint your eyes, you'll see him. <laughs> well, that's a shame. Nancy Allen has a big role in it. She was great in Carrie. Mm-hmm. And RoboCop. Yep. And, um... Christopher Lee. I don't even remember him being in that. He's he's listed on the back of the right. DVD. Toshiro Mifune has, uh... Yeah, that... He has that, a sizable role. That makes me very interested. He's the Japanese actor who worked with Akira Kurosawa on a lot of different films. Like, some of his most classic films like seven samurai yojimbo hidden fortress throne of blood yeah and i'm a big fan of those movies so i'm excited to see some Toshiro mifune in a western film not a western but a uh film made in the west not the old west or not <laughs> but probably in california so <laughs> not talking about the old west we're talking about 1941 in 1979 if any of that makes any sense. I'm trying to think of who I would consider, like, the main actor in it. I mean, it is definitely an ensemble piece. There's not, like, oh, that guy's the one. That, but, I mean, like, Ned Beatty has a fairly big role. We, From we Deliverance. Just, yeah. And the, the Superman films with Christopher Reeves. But I can't remember, the like, the main, like, romantic lead actor's name. But I don't know. It's amusing. Just, uh, I mean... I bought it for $2. Yeah. It was the interest level. I've, I've never seen it. That's, and it's that's, like, that's less than I paid for it, yeah. so... It's, it, you know, when you look at Spielberg's filmography, it's like that... It's more of a curiosity than... And I'm, I'm glad I watched it, and I'll probably watch it again at some point. It's not a horrible movie. It's not one of the worst movies ever made. And its reputation, I think, does it a bit of a disservice... Because I, or it, does it do it a service? Because if you have very, very low expectations going into it, you're like, oh, it wasn't as bad. That's a possibility. But if it's like the, <clears throat> the Lost Spielberg classic, 1941, <laughs> Steven, you love E.T., you love Indiana Jones, here's 1941. I think that that's one problem with it, is that like if, if any other director had done it, 
maybe not any other, but like if if that had been somebody's like first movie or something, or or somebody who'd only done like one thing before that, mm-hmm. they were coming up and they did that. It'd be like, oh, I want to see where this guy goes. Right. But when it's the movie that sits there In chronologically between. right between uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah. it's just kind of there. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it more than the last time I watched Hook. I loved Hook in theaters when it first came out. And when it first started showing on TV and I taped it and I watched it a few times, it was on TV a few days ago, maybe a week ago. And I watched maybe half an hour and I was like, what was I think? Why did I like this? I haven't seen Hook in a long time, but that was a movie that I used to watch often when I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I have fond memories of it. So are you saying maybe I shouldn't watch it? I mean, maybe your experience will be different than mine, but I mean, I loved that movie when I was growing up, mm. and now I just, I don't get it. And Spielberg is one of those people who can, like, he's good at making things that, uh, like, his films can be enjoyed as children or as adults on different levels yeah. and, like, at the same time, yeah. but that one, there are moments where it's like, this is... I'm too old to be liking this right now. It's and for the th- for like a Peter Pan yeah. story, like you should never be thinking like, you should always be thinking like, oh, it's like I'm eternally young watching right. this movie. But I was like, these like the sassy black character for some reason, which I, that's weird that that's a Neverland, and like the just uh, all the humor with the kids is just for the kids. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, there's the there's the imaginary food fight. That's fun for, for everyone, right? That was one of the scenes I saw, and that still holds up. That first, when the food actually shows up, mm-hmm. that moment still stands, but around it, I don't know. That is a great moment, mm. still. But Yeah, I mean, it's... We, we kind of talked a little bit about, um, not on mic, a few weeks ago, there was a casting announcement about a, for, for the new Peter Pan movie that's coming out. And it's just funny how, like, it seems like every <laughs> 10 years or so, Hollywood tries to, like, make another Peter Pan film, and it kind of is met with a resounding, eh, because I don't, I don't know what it is about Peter Pan that's, like, hard to bring to the to live action. I think it might have to do with, like, the, the, the kids. Yeah. You know, because getting just, like, good kid actors and I don't know there's there's just something about it that's that's tough to do which Hook kind of and, got around because they turned Peter Pan into a grown adult and I love that concept it's just what I understand is it's still he was supposed to be like the Peter Pan from the stories and like he hadn't grown up for all those years and then right. finally he went and started growing up so the lost boys it seems like they would be the same lost boys from when he was a kid but they were so early 90s that it was uh, like yeah, no these yeah, are all yeah. these new kids they've been kidnapping like or not kidnapping but you know they've been running away and mm-hmm. it's so it's very dated like that is a 1991 film and like it shouldn't the when once you're in neverland it should feel timeless. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even like in my memory of like, even the opening, we see like London or wherever it is. Where are they? Where are they living? They go to London to visit Wendy. Oh, okay. Because yeah. um, 
because she runs uh, an orphanage or whatever, and there there's like a tribute dinner for her, and so Peter and like his new family they like travel to London to go to this dinner and stay with her. See, and in my memory, like the, the the way that like the like Wendy's house looks and like the room and stuff, like that feels very timeless. Yeah, because it it almost like you can't quite like once they're on, in like, there, even with his new like kids who are like modern mm-hmm. kids, like it's, but they're all like, dressed they up in these the sort past. of like yeah, it almost yeah. feels like 1930s kind of like attire and and like before they go to her house and they ha- you have like he goes to like the school play and the the baseball game which he doesn't make it to um yeah and there, there's like a scene where he's in his office and he, there's like a showdown with cell phones really um yeah and uh it's wow, like, i don't remember any of that it's very well i mean all the pre going to neverland stuff it's, it's just uh, kind of yeah I, but i do remember like when the kids are are abducted they like come back to mm-hmm. Wendy's house and they see like the hook scrape along the wall and stuff yeah. and like all that was like I remember I thought it was really creepy and cool and it, that's still there are things that are good in it and that still is a very like powerful emotional thing especially I mean like it's like oh my god my children right. somebody has come and taken my children and like even if you're not convinced that it's Hook because you don't believe that Hook existed like you're still mm-hmm. like someone was here and my kids are gone yeah um uh, I don't know. It just, it just they should try to make things like that timeless. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe people watching like the Mary Martin Peter Pan were like, these kids are all. When was that? Fifties? I don't even know. Yeah, like, I think that was fifties. I um, that was actually the Peter Pan that I grew up with. Me too. I still haven't seen the Disney one. I that was one that I had never owned as a kid. Mm. Um, my neighbor across the street had it, and I remember watching it once over there. And then years later, I got it on DVD and, and had rewatched it then. But the the Peter Pan that I knew was the. It was like a made-for-TV. Movie based on. The play, was it a Broadway play or like, oh, what's it? Called? I'm not the, sure. Was it the? It wasn't the original, Jam Barry, play, was it? Because did that wasn't a musical, was it? Oh, I don't know. Hammerstein, what's the what's the that it was them? I think Rogers yeah, and Hammerstein. Rogers and Hammerstein. I think it was one of them, or oh, I think it was one of their productions. Oh. I have it, I have it on VHS actually over here. It was originally staged, choreographed, and adapted for Broadway and television by Jerome Robbins. Oh, okay, and he um, co-directed West Side Story with Robert Wise, the movie West Side Story. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, like this, it's it's interesting because like, it's not like, it, it it's, the film is more like a uh, recording of what you would see on stage. It's very theatrical. Yeah, it has like, probably the same sets and costumes and props and stuff, and I think you can even see like the wires that hold, um, the people as they fly around and stuff, which I loved. As a kid, I loved when you could see the wires and you could see like the edge of the stage. Yeah, and like, like despite all that, like there's something about this movie that like really captured my imagination. And like when he, uh, I say he, but Peter Pan, as is often the case in live action, was played by uh, an adult woman. Yeah. But like when he takes the shadow, mm-hmm. and it's like like cut out stocking or something. Yeah, it's like, like a, lays some it sort of down fabric. And, yeah. Yeah. 
like I just love that it's like clearly it's just some fabric. Yeah. It's not like I mean you can imagine like sitting in in the theater and mm-hmm. seeing that it probably plays even better because like you can just see like the shape of it yeah. and you don't really see what it is. And Tinkerbell um, is just a light. Tinkerbell is yeah, is literally yeah. just a light. So for all of its sort of like I don't know, budgetary constraints and and whatever and what have you. It's not it's not flashy by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, it's very practical. It was still endlessly entertaining to watch, and and it was the the Peter Pan that I knew for for many years. And there's a certain creepiness about it too that I've never been able to really identify. Does part of it come from the fact that the children's father is played by the same person who plays Captain Hook? Really? Yeah. It's been years since I've seen it. I traditionally, don't, I don't really remember. Traditionally, it's supposed to be. Wow. And like I, in the the original Barry play, too. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. I don't know. Like, Peter Pan, I feel like, you know, there's the Disney cart, the, the animation, the animated film that was made. And that kind of, like, really came to define all further adaptations in the same way that, like, The Wizard of Oz, 1939 with Judy Garland, has sort of, like, made it almost impossible to, like, readapt the book and do it carve out its own sort of like real niche and I mean they've tried over the years but I feel like none of them have really like stuck with audiences but I don't know these days it seems like there's this um there's been a resurgence over the past 10 years of like fairy tale movies and especially over the last like couple of years, I mean, there were like two Snow White movies that came out within months of each other. There's big live action and adaptations of Alice in Wonderland, and like there's a slew of Oz movies that had been in the works. Now there's Maleficent, the Sleeping Beauty movie. They're doing another Peter Pan. There's there's that show on TV, um, the Once Upon a Time, mm. and there's another one that's like. The detect more like the detective thing. I don't remember what it's called, but yeah. I want to say gr- like Grim. Was it just called Grim? Oh, okay, yeah. Not to be confused with the Brothers Grim, which was a Terry Gilliam movie with Heath Ledger. Oh, it's from the same sort of thing. Which reminded me of the newer film that <clears throat> came out, Hansel and Gretel: Witch Hunters, with Jeremy Renner. <sighs> But yeah, I don't know. It's weird that we go through these phases of like, <laughs> let's take Peter Pan out and see if we, we can make it work. There was a movie like in what, like 2004 maybe? Yeah. With like, looked kind of weird. It actually had like a little boy playing Peter Pan. Which for some reason seems just weird, does, even though he's supposed to be a little boy. To, but it's just something but every time they do strange, that. yeah. Like in Hook, when there's like a flashback bit and it shows like what he looked like as a kid, it's like that's creepy. Yeah, there's maybe that's why it doesn't work (laughs) because everybody just gets so upset by it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. I wonder why they decided to make Tinkerbell like sexy. Like in like in the movie, like she's in this like little cocktail dress and stuff. It's like she used to be like a light in Hook or in the cartoon. In well, in the cartoon, but now in everything, Mm -hmm. because like. You know, for on stage she was just a light that was flying around the stage and stuff. And then like Disney gets a hold of it, puts her in like this little cocktail dress and stuff. And 
And then, like, in Hook, it was like, oh, they're trying to make Julia Roberts be all, like, not glamorous as Tinkerbell. And it's like, I mean, kind of, but still, mm-hmm. it's Julia Roberts. I don't know. And, like, now, and, like, the Tinkerbell that's going on now is, like, the with same. All, with all of her, like, animated films. That... Yeah, the Mae Whitman ones. Which is weird, because she kind of, like, looks like Mae Whitman a little. Like, not fit, like, this in her face. The, who's Mae Whitman? She's from Arrested Development um, and um, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and um, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Who, who is she in Arrested Development? I can't remember her name, which was kind of the joke. Oh, Anne, right? Egg Bland. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she plays Tinkerbell? She does the voice of Tinkerbell because it's animated. Oh, in the Di- okay, so we're talking about the Disney. The, the whatever, whatever's going on for like the past like ten years or these something. like CG animated yeah. Tinkerbell Disney movies, like direct to DVD kind of stuff. I don't. It's just it's so it was a weird choice on their part to like make Tinkerbell like this kind of like sexy character with all these boys, these kids out in the woods. I don't know. Like, what's going on there? They're all prepubescent kids. Why do they need this? Why did she need to be dressed like that? What's going on with her? She does have a ridiculously short skirt. Like, I don't really know much of her story. Like, is she older? Is she like, God, I'm lonely, but I'm surrounded by all these guys. Maybe if I try to seduce them, they'll mature somehow. And like, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think that's what it is. <laughs> I think it, I think it's the same reason why like Barbie dolls are, you know, have those sort of unrealistic proportions. And but like, in the universe of Barbie, that makes sense. Like they, because they're not just around like kids. It's it's not like I mean, Barbie's a kid thing. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's like an ideal that kids might strive for. Like are are girls growing up like I'm? I want to be Tinkerbell. Because I don't think guys were growing up being like, I can't wait till I can have a hook for... Well, I guess people were like, I want a hook for a hand. Yeah, man. <laughs> and I want to dress like a foppish dandy and hang out with all these pirates. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... Because <laughs> that was the adult male in Peter Pan and then the... No, but I mean, like the kids, you know, kids, you look at Peter Pan and you want to be like him. I don't think I ever did. I, I really do think I wanted to be Captain Hook, but I mean, like, because, like... I, I, wa- I wanted to be Smee. <laughs> uh, Bob Hoskins. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, like, it might also maybe be an attempt to try to appeal to, like, boys in some way. Yeah, but, I mean, the whole movie should appeal to boys. Like, it doesn't have to throw that into it. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure that the Tinkerbell that's going on now, I don't think is geared towards any of that at all. I think it's just... Like, well, it's like, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, like, okay. So, like you said, I mean, Tinkerbell before the Disney animated film was literally just represented as a light. Yeah. So, they're like, okay, well, we're going to actually characterize her in in a way, in some way. What should she look like? Like, well, she should look like a fairy. Okay, what do fairies look like? You go back to. They look like Captain Hook. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> anyway. Um. You go back to like some of the more like traditional paintings and renditions of 
sprightly nymphs and fairies and stuff like that. Woodland, you know, sprites. And I mean, that, you know, that's how they're traditionally depicted. You know, as like, like clad in just like leaves and like, you know, they're, or, or just naked. You know, these free spirits floating around, these like beautiful young little like chittery girls that, <laughs> you know, they're like, they're like Greek goddesses or like Greek, you know, like nymphs. So, I mean, it makes sense that you're looking at all that and you're like, well, we're going to make her like a fairy. That's what a fairy looks like. And because, I mean, what what would you rather have Tinkerbell wear? Would you want her to just like cover up entirely? Or she could just be a light still, which actually in animation could be even cooler because they could like, I don't know. It wouldn't just be like a little pin light that's going around on the stage awkwardly. Uh. <laughs> I just, I just realized that like, it's funny because in this day and age on the internet, you know, every time there's like some sort of adaptation of something, they're like, oh, they shouldn't have done it like this. Like like in the new Spider-Man movie, they just released pictures of like, you know, Green Goblin or whatever. Yeah. And like, why are they making Green Goblin look like this? Why can't they make it more like the source material? And you're essentially doing the same thing about a movie that came out like 70 years ago or something. Or like, not 70 years ago, like, I don't know, 50 years ago? I don't remember when Peter Pan came out, but I am, but whatever. It's, just, I don't, it's not that I'm like, it's wrong and it shouldn't have happened. I just, I'm trying to figure out like the motivations behind it. Like it was like they're just trying to like sexualize this character. I don't, I don't think so. I think they were trying to like characterize her. You know, I mean, like, you're going to draw it. Like, what is more interesting? Just, like, a light or an actual little, like, pixie fairy? You know, who, just because of the limitations of, like, stage performance, you know, you can't actually have that on stage. Right. Like, in, in, in any other adaptation that had been done, like, they couldn't actually do that. It's like, animation affords you the opportunity to actually make her, you know, a real character. So I understand their... their they're thinking on that and i mean when i mean why wouldn't they i mean you know they do things like in all their movies all their characters became so famous and beloved i mean that's why every disney movie ever ever since in all from all time is just crammed with all these like funny little like you know woodland characters and like you always need that need the talking snowman you know yeah Tinkerbell um, was like the was like the talking snowman of Peter Pan. Okay. <laughs> that little friend that's that kind of just sense. like, you know, just there. You know, The Sword in the Stone is the only 60s Disney animated movie to never have a sequel or live action remake. The only one that came out in the 60s. Yeah. But the story of The Sword in the Stone has been done in live action. But not by Disney. Oh, okay. But they did like 101 Dalmatians later, and they did the Jungle Book later, and um, and various sequels and stuff to things. And I'm sorry, that was just a random th- fact I stumbled upon yesterday. I don't remember how or hmm. where, but um, when you brought up like where like Tinkerbell fits into like the whole like Disney canon, that just reminded me of that. <laughs> yeah, and in sort of the Stones case, it was uh, it was the owl, Merlin's owl. He was like the, you know, the 
funny little sidekick. Would you compare Tinkerbell to Sebastian in Little Mermaid? Or maybe... Um, yeah. Well, I mean, you had, I guess you had a few to pick from. Yeah, uh, no, I'd say Sebastian. That makes sense. Even though, I mean, Tinkerbell didn't have any, like, song numbers. Yeah, Sebastian well, she didn't have any lines. But, I mean, I wouldn't say that she's, like, Flounder or the Seagull. Yeah. I don't know. Whenever uh, I find myself being attracted to an animated character, it just raises a lot of questions in me. That's all. So I think I it's like you know, I, I, I just think like you know, saying like, why didn't they just make her like a light? It's the same answer as like, why didn't they make Sebastian just like a crab? Why has he got to talk? Why has he got to sing? You know, why couldn't he have just been a crab? <laughs> why couldn't a flounder just been a stupid fish, and the seagull just been a dumb bird? <laughs> you know, because it's like it's an animated movie. You want to like. You know, actually see the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think girls grow up thinking Sebastian the Crab is hot? <laughs> Maybe a very small percentage. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Maybe in Japan. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um. All right. They're probably more interested in Prince Eric. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, what what are the what are the sort of like, you know, the 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 male characters in Disney movies that as girls grow up are like, oh yeah, he's kind of cute. Because you know, when there are like the like the Disney females who are kind of like you know, there is that age when you watch Aladdin and you're like, Jasmine is looking uh, looking kind of nice. I have yet to get to <laughs> yeah. the age where I stop thinking that. <laughs> Um, and I mean, Ariel is is like, you know, oh my like, god! And apparently, it's going to be Emma Watson now. How hot is that? Like, like voicing her? Like the, no, the new like the live action. They're doing a live action. It was on movie. the internet, so it must be true. I I heard that somewhere. Hmm. I don't know, but that that's gonna be that's gonna be hot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Belle. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I like this conversation. Let's just... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, Snow White. I was never a big, um, I was never a big Cinderella. Bambi, whoo. <laughs> um, about Bambi, Max, I think, uh, you know, never mind. Uh, <laughs> I, I was never, I never really found Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty attractive. Well, they're very, they seem very, um. Prim and proper. Yeah, conservative. You yeah. Know. <laughs> what about when Cinderella kind of like is all torn up? When her, her dress is all torn up, <laughs> and she's all dis- she's all disheveled. I do like disheveled women. <laughs> I don't know if I like them all torn up. <laughs> it's something I've been dealing with in therapy. <laughs> um. Anyway, as far as like what 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 girls look to in these movies, as far as like you know, when you're growing up, you're coming of age. Mm-hmm. Before you would even say you're coming of age. This is like before you're even 10 when you're like watching movies and you're like, yeah, like <laughs> I, I want like I know that uh, a lot of girls I know. Um, they might not be attracted to Beast, but, but they're when he... definitely <laughs> not attracted to Beast as a guy. Yeah. Cause like at the end of the movie, weird. he turns into like the human and it's just like, uh, that's it. Be <laughs> yeah. Beast again. What the hell? Yeah. And I've never, I mean, people always say Prince Charming, but I don't know if they actually found Prince Charming. In charming? Like, like, yeah. 
Yeah, so I don't know. If you're if you are of the female variety listening to this, let us know. Who was your sort of Disney cartoon crush? I would up? assume Aladdin. Aladdin? Because yeah, that, that's what, that's one of the few where he's the male is the protagonist. In mm-hmm. the majority of the Disney movies that I grew up with, the female was the protagonist and the guy he might come in at the end to save her or something. What about Simba? What about Lady? How what did you think of Lady growing up? Oh no, I was just saying male protagonist. I wasn't saying like oh. <laughs> I thought you were like, well, all the, <laughs> all the girls are into Simba or Kimba, if you will. Um The White Lion. I haven't seen that, but apparently that was we 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 idea. showed it on TV eight, so I knew that for many years, and then I was like, "Hey, Kimba, that's kind of like Simba. Hey, he kind of looks like Simba." And then I read yeah. years later, like you know, oh, there actually was this kind of big deal about it. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I wonder. I mean, like, well, growing up, you know, like when when you're like really little, like you see, I mean, like the anthropomorphized female animals like in the disney cartoons you're like hey, like in what? um like robin hood like maid marion i don't remember what she looks like she looked like i watch that all the time well yes <laughs> um but like in uh chippendale rescue rangers uh the the female mechanic oh yeah what was her name i was into her <laughs> okay <laughs> and um uh what's the the 80s version of Mini, totally Mini. There was like this like special on TV. It was um Minnie Mouse was teach Minnie Mouse and Suzanne Somers were teaching Robert Carradine how to be cool. Um and like Elton John was on it and some other cool people. <laughs> and uh it was totally Mini because it was the 80s. So, you know, totally. Totally. Uh but she was she was hot. Do you think? Do you think it's? Uh, I mean, because now at this point, like you know, Disney has been producing these films for generations yeah. at this point. Do you think it's a healthy thing that we're you know we've been exposed in in this day and age? Like, because never before. Well, that's not necessarily true. I was gonna say never before have we seen these sort of like quote unquote attractive or sexy like animal. <laughs> Animal uh, depictions. Thundercats. Sorry. Anyway, but the, there, but the truth is, is that's not true, because like there are, if you go into like Japanese uh, history, there are a, a lot of like uh, drawings and paintings and stuff of various animals in like sexual situations with with people. They're more like anthropomorphized. Like and that's just, even more, that's way more graphic than even like, you know. I just want to take a split second to throw out, uh, throw out the fact um, that neither Max nor myself uh, practices nor condones bestiality. We're just discussing like pre-sexual feelings. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want anything to be misconstrued. <laughs> when, you think there are people listening to this thinking like, you know, oh my God, I didn't know these were, you know. These two guys were into that kind of stuff. Colin uh, turned us off like 10 minutes ago and has already informed the authorities. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like this is a pretty innocent conversation. Okay. Because I, I think everyone can identify <clears throat> with with that in some way, you know. 
even not going to the animal territory, just like, you know, oh, you see, you know, Jasmine and Aladdin and you're like, well, she is dressed kind of provocatively. I mean, if I was to meet like a human being, uh, like a real live human being who had the same eyes as Lady from Lady and the Tramp, I mean, that's wow. Who does Lady remind me of? Because she she's always she, kind of reminded me of a real person, and I don't. Was it Judy Garland? Because she always kind of reminded me of Judy Garland. I can see that. Judy Garland always kind of felt more deer-like to me. She feels more like a like a fawn. <laughs> see, now we are just like you know, <laughs> comparing girl women to animals, which is kind of weird. <laughs> uh, it kind of reminds me of a line from district nine about interspecies prostitution i thought that was going to go somewhere the uh the where they mentioned that kind of well, in it kind of did because there's the whole sort of like <laughs> he fucked a prawn as far as the prostitution though like the they, prostitution. they mention in passing and they show this one woman right and like then i'm not upset that it didn't <laughs> go further with it I just... <laughs> you were waiting for the for that scene I did. I kind of wanted a scene where they like showed it, just because I was like, let's see how that would work. But I'm sure if you go online and you just Google <laughs> District Nine interspecies prostitution, I'm sure <laughs> you'll find some renditions. I don't know. I just it's like the Planet of the Apes movies. They kind of like chickened out. <laughs> You're talking about the playmate of the apes. No, I'm talking about how I really thought that Mark Wahlberg and Helena Bonham Carter were going to have sex at some point in Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, and they didn't. Or did they? Do you think it happened off camera? Was that implied? It's been a while since I've seen it. I don't know. It's funny. Like I did just <laughs> recently watch it, and there's the, the, the actual human <clears throat> female in the movie. I can't remember her name. Estelle Warren? I'm not sure. Like she's like the she is. I don't the, remember her character's name, love interest, but she was like an Olympic swimmer or something, and she was making a movie. Oh, okay. Was like, yeah. Mark Wahlberg doesn't really pay any attention to her why, throughout the movie. Why would you? <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter as an ape is right there. <laughs> <laughs> he spends a lot of time like paying attention to her. Though. Yeah. But I mean, it is funny, especially like because you look at um, oh, what's her Nova. From the original Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Who's just ridiculously gorgeous. And, you know, Charlton Heston is dropped down into this situation where, like, there's this insanely beautiful, scantily clad, mute woman <laughs> just, like, clinging to him all the time. And he's like, I'll take good care <laughs> of you. you know? And they're, like, in the cage together. And, like, it's just, you know... Basically, the same thing happens to Mark Wahlberg with this very attractive, scantily clad woman who's dropped down next to her, and she's clearly interested in him. But he doesn't go for it. He's just like, you know, totally uninterested in that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Are we talking about District 9 now? Well, yeah, so we should talk about District 9. All right, this was... uh... This was picked by Colin. Yes, I think it's only fitting that, you know, our our most loyal fan and listener. If we're going to do a listener appreciation month, 
we do have to acknowledge up front our 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 steadfast listener Colin and he suggested we watch District 9 and that's what we did. I had seen the movie before in the theaters. I hadn't seen it since then. So when did this movie come out? It was uh nine. 2009. So yeah, that was five years ago at this point. Holy cow. Time flies. Um, but you hadn't seen the movie before. Nope, I watched it for the first time last night. So I'm very curious to to hear what you had to uh, what you, what you thought about it. I liked it. You liked it. I did. I um. <laughs> I I really liked the the mix of uh, the documentary and narrative forms kind of mm-hmm. mixed together and like. And then for a big chunk, it kind of drops the documentary aspect altogether. Yeah, and, then and then comes, it in, comes at the back end, at the end. Yeah, and it kind of it deals with like, like how the news does portray things having to like do with like race and things, and they're just like, well, they just like kind of sweep things under the table and they sort of subtle use of propaganda. I mean, then there's I mean the the Photoshop of him like fucking a prawn. That's yeah. just more blatant, but there's this little like thrown away bits. And I, I like that his uh, the trainee that goes with him early on is now like uh, an imprisoned whistleblower. Mm-hmm. I had some issues that I guess in just reading reviews online later, uh, some other people had issues with. How did you feel about the Nigerian like gangsters that are are in District Nine? Um. There are these sort of like weapons dealers, uh, or or cat guess, food dealers. Either. They're more cat food dealers. <laughs> they're amassing all these like weapons, and they're almost like they have this sort of voodoo thing going on, where they're trying to gain the powers of the aliens so that they can use their weapons and stuff. Yeah. Um, I thought it was an interesting addition to the society that they were kind of creating in this world in this you know in this uh dystopian kind of world that they that they created i think it like it kind of makes sense that like people would kind of act like that in presenting the reality of like okay now you have to live with these aliens You know, one of those things that I I can't remember who said it, but like someone was saying that the guarantee, the only guarantees like in if, if, if aliens were to actually make contact with humans, you know, we don't know if they'd be friendly. We don't know if they'd want to kill us. We don't know what they'd be like, but if intelligent life exists and humans come in contact with them, the only thing we can really guarantee are that like, we'll try to have sex with it and we'll try to eat it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. so I feel like, um, because that's just human nature, you know? So I think, I don't know, seeing them like, you know, eating the, the prawn legs and arms and stuff. Um, do you think it was, I mean, but it was just the black people though, like the white people didn't seem to be doing any of that. And like the, the film, I mean, like in the whole idea of like, South African apartheid, mm-hmm. which the film is pretty blatantly about. Right. And like District 9 is based on what was District 6 in real life. 
like the aliens are kind of set up set up as like black people in that society and but then the film portrays not all black people i mean i mentioned the the imprisoned whistleblower who's Mm -hmm. black um but like these nigerian gangsters they're they like embody like all of these like negative black stereotypes and it's it's an odd mix Mm. like we're practicing voodoo and we're gangsters and like it's it, it just it, it sort of muddied the water a little bit. It seemed like they could have just thrown in some white characters into that, maybe just to, but not not to like wimp out. Like if that's what they wanted to present, and there are black gangsters, but I mean, it just it was odd because like it seemed like the aliens were supposed to represent black people, but then here's these people who are black and they're. I don't know, but at the same time, it could be that, like, well, if you only present negative stereotypes about any group, like race, gender, whatever, um, and that's all that people are presented with, like, that group, if that's all that group is presented with, that's, then they will grow up and embody it, because that's what they think, well, I'm that way, that way, I have to or I am this, therefore I have to grow up and be that way. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, it could be like, well, clearly like there's like the whole ghetto of District 9 where the aliens are. And then there's like the ghettoized Africans who are like there with them. And like, it's almost like here, like the aliens are what we are presenting to them trying to think how to word this i'm going like in a circle sort of like Mm. the aliens are representing uh what society or how society wants us to view black people and the black people who are there the nigerian gangsters are seeing that and they become gangsters Mm. and like there's a a couple other views i read um one on reverseshot.com another one on uh bright lights film journal they got to the hypocrisy point where like, wait, they're showing all these black stereotypes, but like they're trying to act like they're like against black stereotypes. But I feel like there is that other level where it's like the aliens are causing them to embody those stereotypes. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm wording it properly. Right. No, I, <laughs> I feel like I know, you're, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I think it's, Honestly, I think it's more to do with the reality of what Africa is really like. Mm. Because those sort of African gangs, like, I mean, they do exist. Africa is like, it's a it's a, it's a continent that's been torn up over, like for generations by, you know, imperialists and, and stuff. And, and just the amount of countries that exist there and within those countries all of these factions of like you know warlords and drug lords and right traffickers and all just all kinds of like different groups of of africans you know and that's just what they are they're just africans and like i think it's uh i mean it takes place as it takes place in africa like you have this african warlord who's amassing all these uh these weapons it just it part of it was odd cuz the aliens seem to be representing black people in the situation 
I mean, at the same, like, it seems that way. And they, that might not have been the intent. Or it could have just been like, here is a group and here's what apartheid I think is like with this group. Yeah, I think it certainly is but like, because it's inspired by that reality. Yeah, apartheid you know? has been But I don't think it was like black people. necessarily designed as like, you know, this is what the aliens represent. It was more just like, well, let's put this outside, like you said, outside group of creatures into this mix that's already kind of like has this class race thing going on what about what if there was like a third you know class a third race yeah i don't so i don't necessarily think that like they were meant to represent you know all of the 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 black kind of like stereotype or equivalent i guess i mean but it certainly was inspired by by the apartheid and it is hard to comment on this kind of stuff being uh you know white american males who have never been to africa the only africans i've ever met have been white from south africa (laughs) yeah and i mean and so much of what how we view africa is based on images that we see in the media you know so i mean like i can't say for for certain what what it really is like over over there yeah we should go yeah i mean that would definitely be next week we will be (laughs) going uh, to you live from africa yes (laughs) we i mean i don't know if how many african films would you say that you've seen Hmm. i know i've seen i'm fairly certain i've seen less than 10 yeah. I'm not sure if I've seen more than five. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's tough because, I mean, you you wouldn't really think of District 9 as even being like an African film. I mean, it's made by Neil Blomkamp, who's from South Africa. Yeah. Yeah, I would not consider this an African film. But mm. As far as like us being like exposed to like I mean, the majority of the things that we know about the world, we kind of, as far as like culture and society, we kind of get through movies we watch. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but it's like, we get it. <laughs> so we view Africa as sort of like the Amer- the Hollywood version of, of Africa. Yeah. Which I'm sure is like very the, different. Like the what... movie Congo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I actually haven't seen. I'm assuming from the title it takes place somewhere in Africa. <laughs> or Zulu. Nate's favorite movie. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it, but he did used to think that was his favorite. He changed his mind, apparently. <laughs> but, well, it's, it, here's something. Because like, you talked a little bit about, like, you know, what the, I guess what the message of District 9 is. Or, like, you, you said it was at least blatantly obvious that it was yeah it's not even subtext it's just text yeah (laughs) and it literally is like i mean you you see the poster and i mean you see the you know like the no alien sign and it's like you you know what the movie is about but we talked a little bit a couple episodes ago about elysium which is neil blomkamp's latest film and one of the things that you were saying is that like based on the trailers you thought that the message would be kind of just like hammered relentlessly into yeah. your head. 
so I'm wondering, like, how would you say that that you felt like you were being sort of bludgeoned to death by the message? I didn't because of how skillfully it was done. It wasn't like I feel like if it had been done a different way, where it wasn't like, oh, this is a great fun time I'm having, mm-hmm. and that's there too. That like I, I enjoyed watching the movie, and I'm gonna watch it again, and. Like, all that stuff is there, but because of the pacing and you're dealing with a character's transformation. Right. Like, there's too many personal things going on for you to get, like, too, like, oh, it's just about the message. Because it's not, really. That, that's the thing. It's, like, I feel like it's not necessarily making, like, a statement, like, right or wrong about, like, certain things. It's yeah. sort of just, like, it's the, the premise is, like, this sort of statement, and it's, like, you know, yes, we're dealing with, like race and class and all these sort of like issues and you know prejudice and enslavement and uh subjugation and just all these sort of like and it gets pretty horrific in there too i mean like we you know we see the some real fucked up stuff but it never is like you know heavy-handed because it's all more so just like backdrop to the the story that's going on. And I would say that like Elysium kind of does the same thing. Like I I wouldn't say that like, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a very, very similar film because it literally, again, it's about this racial or not the racial, but this class divide Mm. and that, but that's just like the world that's presented. And then there's like the story within this world. I actually, enjoyed district nine more watching it this time than i did when i saw it in the theater and i liked it when i saw it in the theater i thought it was it was it was great but this time around i i really enjoyed it because i think the first time around i wasn't entirely sold on the on the just like the the concept of a human being able to transform into an alien species which i guess is more of like maybe nitpicking almost <laughs> but it's a it's a, it's a big plot element i mean it's yeah. like it's part of i mean it's what drives the story mm-hmm. along have you seen finian's rainbow no i haven't someone we know just watched it i think maybe nate because the other day somebody was like oh i just watched finian's rainbow and we talked about it for a few minutes but i have no i i, I think it was nate but i'm not sure it's this musical from the 60s. It was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Um, it was based on a Broadway show from like a couple decades earlier. And in that, uh, this character, played by Keenan Wynn, he's like this racist southern landowner who's gonna uh, kick a bunch of black people off his land and stuff. And um, I forget the ex- how exactly it happens. A leprechaun is involved and there's a spell and... Um, <laughs> And he uh, becomes black. And then for like a good... Po- and then he meets up with these like black singers. And he's like hanging out with them. And he spends a good amount of time like just experiencing being black. Hmm. And then by the end of the movie, he's like, Oh, you know what? I was being a dick and racism's bad and never mind. Um <laughs> And that reminded me, like watching District Nine, I'm like, oh, it's like in Finian's Rainbow, <laughs> um, 
only it's not as uh, like a quick cut it's like a slow right um, yeah. Seth Brundle in the fly type yeah. transformation yeah. yeah which if you're gonna take inspiration from another sci-fi movie that's a good one yeah and I feel like this movie definitely at times feels very Cronenberg uh, esque yeah I guess most mostly to do with like the the physical transformation and specifically the fly I mean like as you know we see is like fingernails falling out and his teeth coming out and like and all that which that whole how involved was peter jackson in this i know he was the producer and when the end credits came along i was expecting to see like a like him on like a list of writers or something too because early parts of the film now the peter jackson i'm familiar with i haven't seen lord of the rings yet i saw unfortunately the first part of the hobbit but like Early Peter Jackson mm-hmm. had that humor to it. This, yeah, the, it definitely you can feel his influence here. What, the whole surprise party. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of in Dead Alive, mm-hmm. when the mother is like she's a zombie and he's trying to basically pretend like, or no, right. she's turning into a zombie right. and he's trying to pretend like, oh no, everything's okay and like she's falling apart in the pudding and yeah. stuff and like. I love I, and I loved in District Nine when he's like he finally goes to like cut the cake and he's like. Let's cut some cake, and then they go into his head, and we hear like the "Let's cut some cake," <laughs> and then he just like collapses. And like the whole idea of him just like this this silly bureaucrat going to these houses and just being like, "Oh, you have to sign this," reminds me of the first scene in Dead Alive, right? Where the guy's dealing with some natives, mm-hmm. and he shows like, "Oh, we have a permit, permit," and yeah, totally. I mean, it definitely you can feel that. He was, uh, you can feel his involvement for sure. Yeah. And it, it and, might and have just been, he was that, such a big Peter Jackson fan that, yeah, that kind of, he has that same humor, maybe. Because I don't but, know exactly how involved he was. In and it. I haven't seen, did you watch the original short film that District 9 is based on? No. Neither have I. Is it on the. I, it must be on the DVD. There's I don't have three DVD discs on that damn DVD. Oh, really? I only, I, ha- I only have a single disc edition. So. Okay. I, I have what I thought was a two disc edition, and I open it up, and in, in an envelope, the third disc fell out. Ah. Which I don't even know what's on that disc. Mm, mystery disc. But I know that he had done some, like, Halo fan movies or something. He did, like, a trilogy of movies that take place in the Halo universe. And that's how Peter Jackson heard about him. Yeah, because Peter Jackson were... was attached to, like, be making a Halo movie for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then he dropped out. And then Neil Blomkamp was going to make a Halo movie. And then that never happened. And blah, blah, blah. But I guess they're all up on YouTube, so it's possible that the original District Nine, which I don't know if that was the name of it, might be up on YouTube too. But and just like the Peter Jackson's uh, influence, I mean, just in the way that like the the sort of matter of fact way that the gore is kind of portrayed, yeah, reminded me a lot of like a Dead Alive or something. And I haven't. Seen, have you seen Bad Taste? Yes, because that's the one I haven't seen. It was really I've seen Meet the Feebles and Dead Alive. Which Meet the Feebles definitely is just like, it's a gross out film, but mm-hmm. it is very matter of fact. It's like, well, it's a gross world. Right. This is just what we're in. Um, but uh, Bad Taste is actually with aliens. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Is it similar to the way the aliens are in this at all? Or um, is it just. Not, not, no, I don't think so. I, I wouldn't say so. Because that movie's more about like the aliens disguising themselves as humans and like, uh, I don't know. A lot of interspecies sex and meet the feebles. Hmm, I guess that's the theme of the night. <laughs> oh, I want to watch that now. Meet the feebles. 
Um, but anyway, yeah, coming back to like that first sort of like half of the movie, which is very comedic and more specifically in that first sort of like documentary style thing. And we're following this goofy guy around it, watching it this time. Like it just struck me like how brilliant it is using like a character like, uh, what was his name? Vickers wicker. Oh, Van de Vandermeer. I think it, it was, sounded like Vickers. Is was his name? Yeah. And one of the most impressive things about the movie is that, like, it was a it was a successful film. It it did well at the box office. It was critically successful. It was nominated for best picture. It really like captivated audiences' imagination. And it was by like a new director without any Hollywood stars in it at all. Like there's no big name attached to it. And I just, I just love like movies like this that aren't afraid to give the lead role to someone who doesn't fit like the leading male type. Yeah. You know, like you look at Elysium and it's like, you've got Matt Damon in the lead and it's like, you know, I feel like if, 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 a if this if District Nine was made like by in like the Hollywood studio, it was if it was like a script that they had optioned or something like, you would have somebody. I don't know who would you put in that role, like. Uh, That's like a big star. Like Edward Norton, maybe. I mean, he could play it, but I can't think of many things he couldn't, because <laughs> he's awesome, but. He, I mean, like, based on, like, just even when he hosted SNL, like, Edward Norton can definitely do that kind of, like, bumbling thing mm-hmm. at the beginning. Yeah. But that, I mean, like, when the movie starts, I don't know who anybody is. Like, I didn't really remember too many of the ads or anything. And, um, like, the other night uh, at Googs, Colin asked, like, what do you know about District 9? And I said, it's got aliens and it's, like, it has to do with internment camps. And mm-hmm. that was pretty much it. Yeah. So, like, I, I don't know what's going on when I hit play. Right. <laughs> and then, like, this character sort of slowly starts becoming the main, the main character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of all these characters Because we're seeing we're all these different so people quickly. being interviewed and all this kind of stuff And, like, I'm thinking, like, like they, they have a bit where, like, uh, his wife and his mother, they're referring to him in the past tense. Mm-hmm, and I'm mm-hmm. like, this guy is going to die in the next few minutes. No. Right. Like I you're like, expecting like him just going up and be like, Oh, here's your eviction notice and then he just gets yeah. his head ripped off or something like that. And then like just and the the whole transformation, like he is a ridiculous person when he's introduced and then you know, we're laughing at him. Mm-hmm. And then the more we see him in action, we come to despise him. Yeah, because he's just acting so like But like and that's what's brilliant about it, because, like, he is... By the end of the movie, we're completely with him. Right. It's great. But setting him up at, in this sort of, like, sort of in the goofy way that he is mm. acting at the beginning, because he, he's playing a very despicable person, because he's going in, he's, like, just casually, like, yeah, you hear that popping? It's like popcorn. All the babies are, like, you know, coming out of the... Popping out of the yeah, eggs and, like, all their the babies. fires and, like, it's like... <laughs> laughing about it and, like, you know... Yeah, he just casually goes, unplugs the egg thing. He's like, oh, your first abortion, here you go, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, it's horrible, you know? But he's almost naive about it, you know? He has this 
That's just his job. He's just following orders. And he doesn't, and like, we know, like, we instantly know that, like, he's not really a bad guy, you know? He's just acting, he doesn't know any better. But I mean, at the same, like, that is, like, 90% of the things we do, just because of the society we live in and stuff, Mm -hmm. like, we just do them because we do them, we never think about them, and like, when you don't think about them, you are a bad guy. That's true. Yeah. That's what makes you not good. (laughs) I mean, there's things, like, all the time that, like, I do, and then, like, I'll meet somebody who, like, they have, like, these very, like, strict and serious beliefs, and they'll mention something, and I'll think, like, I do that. Is that wrong? And then, like, Mm -hmm. I think about it a while, and sometimes, like, oh, okay, I never really thought of that. It's just a thing I do. It's like breathing. Right. And that's, like, he's this bureaucrat who's just, like, well, there's paperwork to be done, Mm -hmm. and, like, my job is not over until the paperwork is complete. And that's like that's all his mind is focused on. He doesn't realize like people not people, I guess, but beings are dying because of for, like this paperwork. For the, all intents and purposes, we'll call them people. Okay. Because, you know. They prawns have... are people too. Yeah. Well, prawn is I don't know if I feel comfortable with that term. I because I've been watching the Muppets so much, I just expected <laughs> Pepe to come in on the mic and just be like, you know, say some kind of dumb remark. Speaking of Pepe, in an early scene, <laughs> um, it shows these like two tiny creatures attacking each other in this little uh, like arena. Yeah, and got sort of like up. a cockfight thing that they got going on. Are those supposed to be like baby prawns that they're waging against each Because like I listened to the first 20 minutes of the commentary. Oh, yeah. Um, but then it was really late and I was just like, ah, I'm good. I'll, I'll listen to the rest of it later. And I never did. And all he said about that shot, which I was waiting for it to get to that shot where he could be like, and these things are right. right. But all he said was, this is my dirty star Wars shot. It's funny. Cause <laughs> I thought about star Wars when that was happening. Yeah. He, he was just like, Oh, it just, it's just a shot that sort of, it's like a passing like background thing that adds thing, some yeah. atmosphere. And, yeah. yeah. But I th- I, like, they- I thought I didn't I didn't think that they were like the the babies. I thought it was just like you know I mean they come in this giant ship yeah and we see inside of it and it looks you know fucked up and dirty and kind of just mm. like not well kept. So I imagine that there are like parasites and kind of just like you know they're like the rats or like the mice that would hop on board the ship. Okay, that's that was my thought. Yeah, I, I mean I didn't the, the, when we first started talking about it a few minutes ago like. I feel like I gave the impression I didn't like it because I jumped immediately on like this issue I had with it. But like, I did really like it. It's, mm. it's a really good movie. And, um, it's, it's weird that it was, it was, it was nominated for best picture the same year as avatar, which also kind of uses science fiction to discuss somewhat problematically like race issues. See, And there you, have you seen avatar? Yeah. Okay. In theaters. I haven't seen it since mm. then. Yeah. I haven't seen it since then either. But you talk about, like, a message being, like, hammered over your head. Yeah. Just looking at these two films, it really is, like, it's pretty amazing when you look at Avatar and just see, like, how all those complaints about it, about, like, the heavy-handedness of it, like, are totally merited. Because there's just no subtlety to it at all. And the idea of, like, well this whole race of well we'll say people for mm-hmm. the people in avatar too i guess uh this whole race of people can navi all... are people too 
Uh, it's like the the whole um, like the Tarzan type myth where it's like, well, we need a white guy to enter this group for them to succeed. Right. And which does sort of happen. And it even in has District this transformational 9, he, thing. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's that's weird. It's like he has to go native, if you will, mm-hmm. and then like become part of the group and then help them get away or lead a rebellion or whatever is going right. on. And actually, wait, yeah, didn't. I'm trying to remember the way Avatar ended. Wasn't it kind of open-ended, like there should be a sequel? But there hasn't been. It's been like five years. What's going on? They're making two sequels. They're shooting them back-to-back. James- I mean, it was seven years between Terminators, so I guess that's... Yeah, af- after Avatar was done <clears throat> and in theaters and became the biggest-selling movie of all time, James Cameron said, I'm no longer in the movie business. I'm in the Avatar business. And he's basically like, I'm not going to make any movies again. I'm just going to make Avatar movies. That's fine. I'm happy with that. I mean, I've liked some James Cameron movies, but I was never like excited about a new one coming out. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he found his niche. Yeah. And you know, he's got, I, I'm, I'm, I'll still go back and watch the Terminator films and watch aliens and new Terminator coming out. Oh Yeah. I've kind of lost. I only saw the first two. I didn't really. I saw the third one, and then I didn't see any of the other ones. The second one was on TV the other day too. I caught the uh, the playground dream part, which was a weird part to like be flipping through (laughs) uh, flipping through channels and you're like, oh Jesus. (laughs) Um. Um. But yeah. Uh, So what's but yeah, I mean, you you talk about like these um, these classic sort of sci-fi films. Watching District Nine the second time, I was not only did I like it more than the first time I saw it, hmm. but I kind of fell in love with the movie. In that, like, I'm like, this is this has got to be like one of the best movies to come out in the last like ten years or so. It feels it has all, all of the all of the hallmarks of like a great classic sci-fi film, and it makes me think like if it had come out in the '80s, like we'd be talking about it in the same respect that we would talk about like Blade Runner or you know Terminator or like I don't know any of the the great sort of '80s sci-fi films. I mean, I'm not really a Blade Runner fan, but you know. But I'm I mean, it, it has that. <laughs> no. I know what you mean. Like that, it would have this huge cult following. Yeah, totally. And, and I'm, is there like a District Nine? That, and that's what I'm wondering. Like it, it almost it's harder for like films to kind of capture that kind of attention these days because everything is like almost all big sort of movies that come out. They're already a part of an established franchise. Mm. Even like all you know now the big trend is like we got to find the next Harry Potter, and they did with Twilight. Now it's like we got to find the next Twilight. And they did with Hunger Games. Now they're trying to find the next Hunger Games. You know, it's like they're they're sort of taking these like the the book series, these things that like have the franchise potential. But it's like you those all those franchises already have built-in audiences. You need the built-in audience. And that again is like also what makes this movie so impressive to me is that like they they sold it to millions of people, not on stars. Not on a pre-existing franchise, but just on an amazing premise. Because I remember seeing like some of the trailers and just being like, this looks unlike anything I've ever seen before. 
it's totally it was totally new and totally unique this the not only for in telling like a story in the way that this like this sort of pseudo documentary style but just it's a new kind of alien invasion story you know yeah. i mean how many movies have the giant mothership saucer looking shit hovering over the earth and like i don't know they're aliens but like this does it in such a a different way that has never been been touched on and with a i hesitate to say sympathetic but like this this protagonist at the center of it that mm. by the end of the movie at least you start to like feel for and it ends with him, not not the very end but i mean like towards the end there's like the shot of him like holding or making that thing for his wife right yeah the like the metal flower yeah and it's I don't, like i think a lot of movies and again i am usually judging all these movies without even watching them because i see these like big like blockbusters and things like advertise and i'm like Ugh, enough of that already yeah um and i just assume that they don't have things like that right and like maybe they do like i i don't know like maybe they do focus on characters and stuff mm-hmm. but i'm glad that this one did and i really did enjoy the movie but is is that something that you've seen in because re- I know that you watch a lot of like the like blockbuster movies and stuff because like, at least the ones like based on comic books and stuff yeah and like those obviously focus on characters because the character is the franchise exactly yeah but do they have like those little moments those little like um, bits of emotion that they focus on yeah I mean they it happens for sure like one of the things like in the Avengers for instance. One of the one of my favorite things about the movie was how Thor surprisingly kind of had the emotional center was was kind of the emotional center of the movie um, because the main protagonist was Loki, who was his sort of half brother thing going on, and even though Loki had been the main protagonist in the first Thor movie, it was uh, it was still handled in this really kind of like surprising way where when Loki turns on Thor again in the Avengers, it really felt, he felt for Thor and his handling. I've, I've been really impressed with in the, in the films because it'd be so easy to make Thor just turn him into this stoic kind of like, I am a God and thou art thou blah. I will strike you down. But he's not like that at all. He's very tender and very, um, (laughs) he's so lovely. No, he has like a very rich emotional core to him, and he feels vulnerable and strong at the same time. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, like they've they've done well by a lot of characters, at least in those movies. Did you see um, anything like Battleship? No, or I, like... I didn't see Battleship. I can't imagine there's much of in the way of emotional resonance. I'm trying to think of other like generic kind of action movies up and around but that's the thing like there's nothing generic about district nine yeah but when i saw it advertised my like it just seemed like here's one of these big and it wasn't until like they announced like the oscar mm-hmm. nominees and i was like that's random yeah but it's not when you watch the movie you're like right it totally makes sense yeah i mean ba- based on the nominees i saw that year i think um i would probably 
have given it to Inglorious Bastards. But it definitely makes sense that District 9 is on that list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really great movie. I think um, it's also interesting because they're kind of like... There's a there was a, a trend at least in like sci-fi films where things all of a sudden got like very real. Like it was all about portraying like the realism of like what if this was actually happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had films like Cloverfield, which again was another movie that was marketed so well that like it didn't rely on named actors. It didn't rely on you know a pre-existing franchise it was just on the premise alone and the way that it was marketed that it became a phenomenon before the movie even before anyone even knew what it was you know it was just like it's a big monster we don't know what it is yet but like we know it's this and like you just see the you know that teaser of like the head of the statue of liberty getting thrown into the street and it's just like that instantly captured people's imagination because of the way that it was shot and the way that it was you know done and district nine had that going on with its promotion where it was like it was like the news reports you know and it's like it feels like it's not like you just turned on you know al jazeera or something and you're like watching this crazy thing go down and it's like oh my gosh the aliens are living amongst us and it's just commonplace it's just world news at this point um and then there are films like uh in 2006 um children of men mm-hmm. which not so much with the it had you know name actors like Julianne Moore and Clive Owen, and, but it went for this very like realistic approach to like a dystopian kind of future. And in a lot of ways, the world there is presented similarly to District Nine. This very like very bleak looking picture of of humanity at their very worst. But I think all three of those movies are very very good. I really liked Cloverfield, but when you when you mentioned it a minute ago, it reminded me that when I first started watching District Nine last night, like when it first started out, I was like, "Oh fuck, is this a found footage movie?" Because mm. like I, as much as I did, I, you know, I loved Blair Witch when we watched that for the first time, right uh, at the beginning of this, and I enjoyed Cloverfield. I just I don't want to do it anymore. Like, <laughs> see, I think like the way that it's done in District Nine is like a really cool way to do it where it's like because it's actual like you're watching the news or like a documentary it's not just like here's some friends who have their phone with that yeah here is like the actual tape that you know yeah that was recovered it's like and you get to see it how it's how the footage is presented in the media mm-hmm. and like the spin and everything and like and you're stitching it all together from all these different sources yeah which... and there's the big chunk of it that is just straight narrative not mm-hmm. like and it, 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 man, setting up the world in District 9 was done so well that, like, it took less than five minutes yeah. to, like, set everything up. It was just like, a couple of minutes, and you totally understood what what was going on, what, you know, how everything kind of, like, worked. And it made it, made you feel like this could actually be real. And it just, like, little touches, like, you know, like, replaying the slow motion footage of, like, you know, when you look back at the footage of the mothership when it first arrived, you can clearly see something falling down out of the thing. And it's just, like, it's those kinds of, like, things that the news media picks up on, like, you know, you you look at, like, the 
like oh, and it's, now it, there's the, the whole Malaysian flight that's disappeared and it's just like scrutinizing all these satellite images and stuff and we think it might be over here and we think it might be over there and this is all about like you know this missing piece of the ship that fell off and it's this mystery and like the world doesn't know what's going on mm-hmm. it totally sells that whole like the, the news media frenzy that must have that you can only imagine would be going on if this were to actually happen you know <laughs> everything would be so poured over the lead actor I don't know his name off the top of my head what is his name? Uh, Charlto Copley or Copley. Okay. He's yeah. the guy who played Vickis Vandermeer. Yeah, he's also in Elysium, but he plays a completely different kind of character. He's like a real nasty, bad, bad dude. He's like a mercenary bounty hunter guy. And, I mean, he's he's really impressive in District 9. Um, but seeing his range in, in Elysium as well, I mean, he's he's a really great actor. I haven't. Did you see the A Team? That he was in, the A Team reboot. No, I didn't see. He's in that. He played Murdoch. Oh. Was, was Murdoch the guy with the hat? I don't know. <laughs> it's been a long. I haven't. I don't think I've watched the A Team since it was act, actually on TV. I know that there's Mr. T and a bunch of other guys. One of them had a hat. One and one of them was old. <laughs> the old one was Liam Neeson in the new movie, right? Really? And then the other one was Bradley Cooper. Oh, wait, yeah. No, I, when you said Liam Neeson, my mind said Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm like, what? I thought, first of all, I thought he was dead. But Oh, you know, Bradley Cooper, I guess, played the guy with the hat because his name is Face. I think Face was the guy with the hat. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't follow the A-Team. Um, I used to have the, the toy of their van or whatever but I I don't know yeah I never saw the A-Team back uh, going let's see when I must have been like 10 or 11 years old the internet in those days was rather primitive Mm. Uh, but one of the fun things that I would do with Chris is go over to his house and we would download MIDI files of like music and MIDI files are like you know, very simple, almost eight bit kind of renditions of like a song. I had a lot of MIDI versions of Weezer songs yeah. for some reason at one point. Yeah, it's like I don't know why it was so like entertaining. It was like electronic music. Yeah. Uh. But you know, they didn't take long to download. They're very really small file sizes, so like you could just you could put a whole bunch of them on a floppy disk. But one time we were looking at a site that had like a list of like MIDI files and I saw one that was called the the A-Team. And I didn't know what the A-Team was. But for some reason in my mind I was like, what's a team that starts with A? What would be the A? What is the A-Team? Are they talking about the Avengers? I'm like, what's the what's the Avengers theme? And I was like, Chris, play that. And so he downloaded it and played it, and it's like, you know, in the MIDI file, the MIDI version of the song. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really picture the Avengers when I hear this. It's weird. Whenever I try to do the A-Team theme, it turns into Quantum Leap. How does the Quantum Leap theme go? It's like... 
Nah, I can see how they're similar. <laughs> um, yeah, well, he's that actor is also in Maleficent. Oh yeah, and he was in uh, the Spike Lee remake of Old Boy. He played Adrian slash the Stranger. Hmm. I haven't seen Old Boy, so I don't. I don't know if that's one of those things where I'm not supposed to know that he's Adrian and the Stranger or what, but. Well, now that we're making a point of it, you'll be sure to remember. I will, yeah. And in Open Grave, he plays John slash Jonah. A lot of double characters. Or, I don't know. Now you're just spoiling all of his movies. Open Grave looked interesting. Apparently, the entire movie is him buried alive or something. Wasn't there already a movie like that called Buried with Ryan Reynolds? I didn't know about that. I'd like to see Ryan Reynolds buried alive. As far as I know, it, the whole movie takes place, like, in, like, a casket. Hmm. Well, and this like, is... trying to get out. The brief IMDb description is, A man wakes up in the wilderness in a pit full of dead bodies with no memory and must determine if the murderer is one of the strangers who rescued him or if he himself is a killer. Okay, so I guess he's rescued. He's not there the whole movie. So, that's open grave. Hmm. So... It sounds. I guess it's not horrifying. Like and the Ryan Reynolds one is like it's literally like he's in a in like a casket, so it's like very claustrophobic and all that. He also plays uh, Vickis again in a short film from 2010 called Vickis and Charlize. Are they referring to Charlize Theron, who is also from South Africa? She plays herself in this. Maybe it's four minutes. Maybe it's on the DVD. It's probably like a comedy short or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The the user review that's on the page, uh, the title of the review is funny, with a, with a period. <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. Um, probably about all you can say for a four minute short. That literally says the plot in the title. I said, what did I see? Oh, I was some of the channels yesterday, and I saw part of the Devil's Advocate, and Charlie Theron was in that, and I was like, wh- where, what happened to her? Is she she's still like, she was like one of those like next big thing type actresses for a while, and she was a good actress. Maybe she still is, but like, I I recently saw she was in um, the one of the, the Snow White and the Huntsman. She's in Snow White and the Huntsman. She was the evil queen. That was just a couple... That was, like, last year. All right. Oh, and she was in Prometheus a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and she was in Prometheus. That's right. Okay. She's still she's still around. According to IMDb, she was the second actress to win an Oscar after appearing naked in Playboy. She was naked in Playboy? Look it up. <laughs> Are we just not talking about District 9 right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so what's uh, what's up next? What's on uh, what's on the plate for next week? I don't know. We need to let the audience decide. We've had a few suggestions so far, some of which I think you know we'll want to to do. 
but I want to get some more. I want to get some more suggestions in. All right. Yeah, I think uh, I, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I when Colin suggested District Nine, I never would have thought that that would have been like a movie that he would pick. Hmm. And I mean, truth be told, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, we can watch District Nine. Like, I don't really know how much I really want to like watch it because it still kind of felt a little fresh in my mind even though i guess it has been five years since i've seen it but man i really loved watching it again i thought it was uh it only uh my appreciation for it only grew i was pleasantly surprised i yeah i really like this movie and I want to watch it again. And I uh, I didn't know what to expect. I don't really know Colin's taste in film. No. Um, I think uh, the only film I've ever actually watched with him... Well, we saw World War Z together in theaters. And then uh, one time in this very apartment, I believe we watched Forbidden Zone together. Okay. <laughs> um, and I know that... Uh, Kate said when she was living with him, he used to watch a lot of, like, German leather fetish type videos. Um, so, I... I already I, I watch German leather fetish porn. <laughs> <sighs> Why did I say German? I said German a couple episodes, too, when I was talking about porn. German porn. All right. I wonder if I mentioned it last week at all. I haven't listened to that yet. Anyway... That was a lie about... I don't really... I made that up about Colin. Yeah, I guess that... Sorry, Colin. (laughs) (laughs) I heard he's really into the Tinkerbell movies. Well, Mae Whitman. All right. Her? What? Her? (laughs) I find her very attractive, I would just like to say. (laughs) So, all right. (laughs) Okay, you said it. Not necessarily as Tinkerbell. That's I know. I know. I'm just I, saying. I know what you mean. All right. Have you seen Perks of Being a Wallflower? Or no, no. I Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Nope. I've seen Arrested Development. Not her finest moment. Well, she's portrayed very unflattering. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I'm trying to think of. Uh movies where she's like really hot or something but the thing is her whole she's one of those actresses who like that's not what she's about which is kind of what makes her attractive <laughs> mm. i don't think i've ever seen a movie where it's like oh that actress is like or like i'm looking at may whitman and being like oh that actress is clearly trying to be like hey look at me anyway all right so <laughs> um we'll reconvene next week and talk about something else yeah <laughs> So let us know what you want us to talk about. And we just might. Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And we will see you next time.